0: Welcome to the Church of Rocky Peaks Downloadable Messages and Podcast. Well, good morning. The invasion, this war that we've been talking about the last few weeks, we're going to be continuing on that series. Uh, today. But if this is your first time here, I want to welcome you. My name's Mike. I'm the lead pastor here at the church at Rocky Peak. And we're just so glad that you're here with us today. Uh, if you're brand new, special welcome. But inside your program is a message note sheet that we use every week for our time of teaching. So especially if you're new, you may not know that. You'll definitely want to pull that out. It's got a green and white sheet. And then we're going to get ready to, uh, to jump in and continue this series. You guys all ready to go? Yeah. All right, let's pray. God, we're just so thankful for this invasion, this time and place where the God who created all time and space uh, entered into creation, became part of the human race, that, that you might reveal who you were and to rescue us from the darkness of, uh, of our choices. And so, God, we pray today that as we come, I just pray for great freedom as I teach and energy and just strength. I pray for my voice. I pray for this church. God, I pray that you give us ears to hear that as your people, we'd gather around. And that you would speak, that we'd listen to your Spirit, and we'd be transformed, and we'd be changed, and we'd be different people because we're here today. We pray that in your name, Amen. Amen. Well, today we're uh, continuing this series that we've been in the last few weeks called "The Invasion: The True Story of Christmas." And for those of you who are new, a special welcome. And, and just let me give you the, kind of the basic premise of this series. I think that most of us, we've grown up in this culture, we love Christmas, right? Most people love Christmas. Not everyone, but most people love Christmas, all that goes with it. Uh, and, and my guess is that for most of us here, whether this is your first time in church uh, uh, ever, or, or whether you've been a long time Christ follower and this kind of, that regardless of our background, probably most of us know at least some of the basics of the Christmas story, right? This young mother that comes up with this unexpected pregnancy, not sure what to do with that. Her reluctant fiance was having a hard time buying into her version of this story. Uh, the long trip to this little town, uh, angels in the fields, uh, or uh, angels in the sky, shepherds in the field, uh, manger, baby in the manger, um, Magi from the east. I mean, we're we're familiar with the story. Maybe you haven't read it, you've seen it on TV or something. But but we've we've kind of we know the basics. But the irony is often in the midst of knowing the Christmas story that we miss the larger story of which Christmas is just one small chapter. A story of this incredible rescue mission, this invasion of God in the human race to rescue a fallen race and restore us and bring us back to Him. And so, what we're doing in this series is we're stepping back and we're we're uh, taking a look this larger picture that God is telling us, we'll understand kind of Christmas in context, especially as we come to worship Him next week uh, at our Christmas services. And so, um, there in your note sheet, there is a section that's called uh, The Invasion, The Story Starts. And what I want to do today is just take a couple minutes. And just go back and review a little bit what we covered last week, because some of you are brand new, but just for all of us, just to get us uh, focused. Remember, last, last week we talked about, went back to the start of the human story. We, we saw the start of the story told in the book of Genesis, this incredible God who loves us, who out of this love creates this amazing creation. He, he's brilliant, he's all-powerful, but he's also this God of love, and out of that love, God of love, he creates this amazing world, he creates the human race to be in this relationship of love and connection both vertically with him and horizontally with one another. And yet we saw last week that very early on we rebelled against him as a race. We committed high treason against our king. We saw this great enemy who comes on the scene and convinces us this God who obviously loves us really doesn't love us and that he has ulterior motives and that if we really want to live life to the fullest and get all that life has, we're going to have to rebel against this this God and go out and strike out on our own. And so we do do, and and when we rebel against God. Of course, when you rebel against the source of all life, uh, you pull away the source of all life, the end result is death. And this is exactly what he'd warned, that if we rebelled, there would be death, and it's death on every level. So it's spiritual death. We lost our connection with God. It was a personal death. There was something that broke deep within the human soul where we were created to love and to be loved, and and now we are created, we're kind of self-absorbed, and you see that reflected in our culture. It was the breakdown of human relationships, Led to a culture of oppression, violence, strife, idolatry, broken relationships, sexual immorality. We saw how that worked out last week, and of course, it leads to physical death. So, the end of our story: every one of us is that unless Jesus comes back before that, we're going to die. You know, it's like, what about Bob? You're going to die. I'm going to die. We're all going to die. That. that we are, we're on, you know, we're, we're in different processes, right? It's the, the disease and our bodies and all the things we're facing, like I said, unless you're under 18. So uh, we're all there. And so we saw this impact of our, re, our, our uh, rebellion against God as a race, and yet, Yet last week we saw that as we rebelled against this God in the garden, that right there before the creator even came with his sentence of death, his sentence of judgment for high treason committed against king, that even before he gave this amazing promise, and we we call it the first promise of Christmas. It's in Genesis 3.15, it's on your note sheet, but the promise is that one day out of this fallen race from the seed of Eve, A human being would arise, a great hero who would turn back the hands of time and destroy this great enemy who had deceived us and give us back our life. And so we called it the first promise of Christmas. And then you remember we jumped ahead a few thousand years of time and we looked at what we call the second promise of Christmas. It was in Genesis chapter 12 where God comes and he reveals himself to this man named Abram, later changed to Abraham. And, and so this guy was out of a pagan background. His parents were, were moon worshipers in the city of Ur, a very highly advanced urban civilization in the Middle East and in modern day Iraq. And God reveals himself to Abram and he says, no, I'm the true God. And if you follow me and if you trust me, I will bless you. I'll turn you into a great nation. And he gives a second great promise of Christmas that one day out of, your, uh, out of this nation that I'm going to birth through you will come a descendant who will bless the whole Earth Bless the whole world, and so, so last week, where we left the story, we had these true great promises of Christmas that one would arise from the human race from the seed of Eve to would turn back the hands of time and crush the serpent 's head and rescue us, and then the second one that that it kind of narrowed it down that out of not just the human race but now this certain uh, nation, the nation of Israel, the Jewish nation, out of the sons of Abraham, one would come who would bless the whole world, and so that 's where we left the story. Well today we're gonna, we're gonna move on to the third great promise that I wanna highlight at least the third great promise in this, this series and it comes in Genesis 49 and there's a section there in your note sheet that's called the invasion, the promise of a king and I'd like you to turn there if you have your Bibles uh, turn to Genesis 49. If you don't have your Bible, I put the verses in your note sheet uh, so that you can follow along. But of course, if you have your Bible or you have your iPad or your Droid or phone or whatever, you're, you're kind of following along. It's always better, I think, just to get in the habit of using our own Bibles. And so I'm always going to encourage you as your pastor, you know, bring your Bible, use your Bible, mark up your Bible. It's your textbook for life. But if you're here and you don't happen to have it with you, then you can uh, follow the cheat sheet. So, um, The cliff notes. Uh, So in chapter 49, um, let me set this up. We've now moved 200 years in the future from Genesis 12. So in Genesis 12, God makes a promise to Abraham out of your nation, one will come who will bless the whole world. Now we've moved forward 200 years in time, and there's a man that we're going to meet named Jacob. Uh, He's actually Abraham's grandson, so he's in this line of promise. And, and his name was changed. God changes his name at a certain point in his life to Israel. And Jacob is at the end of his life. He's on his deathbed. And so he calls in his 12 sons. Now these 12 sons are going to develop into the 12 tribes of Israel. That's the kind of nation of Israel. So he calls his 12 sons in. And, and they're around his bed. And he begins to prophesy. Kind of ancient Uh, kind of speak prophetically, supernaturally. God's gonna equip him to speak prophetically over their future and over the future of each of their tribes. It's very Lord of the Rings-like. You know, I I keep saying that, but I I think so often in times, like, well, read uh, like a Lord of the Rings if you're wired that way. And I just love that kind of literature, the story, the romance, but what we we don't understand is that in the Bible, we have the greatest of all these stories, and it's it's real, it's the real deal. And so I always like to point that out because sometimes we read it in such a mechanical way, we miss the, the story, we miss the adventure, the drama that's being unfolded. So in, anyway, in chapter 49, he begins to speak over his sons. He starts with his oldest son, moves down to his youngest. But when he gets to his fourth son, he says something amazing. And so we'll pick it up in chapter 49 and verse 1. I So Jacob, remember uh, his name is also Israel, he calls for his sons and he says, gather around so I can tell you what will happen in the days to come, in the future. And so he begins then, you know, uh, uh, verse verse 2, assemble and listen, sons of Jacob, listen to your father. Israel." He begins to walk through this. Now, if you skip to verse 8, he gets to his fourth son, Judah, and he says, Judah, your brothers will praise you. Your 11 brothers will praise you. Your hand will be on the neck of your enemies. In other words you'll be a great uh, conqueror and your father's sons will bow down to you. So even though you're the fourth in birth order you're going to rise up to lead this family. And now he's going to compare Judah to a lion. And, and of course, you, you know this, the lion is the king of the jungle, right? The, you, you don't like the most ferocious, and so you don't mess with a lion. That's the word picture. Judah is gonna be the lion of, from, the, from this tribe uh, that's gonna lead Israel. And so he says, you are a lion's cub, O Judah. You return from the prey, in other words, from hunting, my son. Like a lion, he crouches and he lies down. Like a lioness, who dares to rouse him? So catch this. This is become important for later uh, you don't mess with a lion, okay? That's the idea. You don't mess with a lion, and so what he's saying is there is a lion of the tribe of Judah is, who's gonna arise that you don't mess with, and so in verse 10, he's gonna tell us the next step of this prophecy, that this, this great lead, this, this, uh, what's gonna happen in the tribe of Judah is a line of kings is going to arise, and so he says in verse 10, the scepter, of course, scepter is the sign of a king, the scepter will not depart from Judah, So there's going to be a line of kings that comes through the line of Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet. And catch this, until he comes, until one of these kings comes in the line of Judah, this line of kings, until he comes to whom it belongs, until the obedience of the nations is his, And so this, this prophecy is given that out of the tribe of Judah a line of kings will come and that line will never end until there's one final king comes to who will rule not ol, on, only over the nation of Israel but will rule over the nations. So, so are you following along? You got this? And so this is what I'm calling the third great promise of Christmas. And I want you to catch how we've narrowed this down now. with This, this, this great hero that's coming, we know now that not only will he be a human being of the seed of Eve, and not only will he come from the nation of Abraham, uh, Abraham, the Jewish nation, but we've further narrowed it down that he will now come, it's kind of like one of those search engines. You know, when you're searching for a car, you put in the different things. We're kind of narrowing it down. And so now it's gonna be, he's gonna, we know he's gonna come Come from a particular uh, a son, a particular tribe of the nation of Israel. He's going to come from the tribe of Judah, and we've learned also that not only will he be a great hero, but he will be a king that will rule over the nations. Okay, and so we've really narrowed this kind of ancient prophecy down. Now, now we're going to jump ahead to the fourth, the fourth promise, and we're going to jump ahead to Second uh, Samuel chapter seven. And the next section there in your note sheet is called the invasion, the promise of a kingdom. So we've had the promise of a king. Now we're going to take the next step, the promise of an enduring kingdom. And so if you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Samuel chapter 7. And so like I say, we have now jumped ahead a 1,000 years. And I realize when we talk about biblical history, we often, it's the numbers are so big that we miss it. But, but think about this. where, what in the year uh, 2011, go back to like 1011. I mean, that's what, when the Normans were invading, invading England or something? I mean, we are talking a long period of time. And so it's a thousand years later, and a great king is going to arise in, uh, in Israel. And guess which tribe he's going to be from? Good. Three of you are on the ball. That's very excellent. Uh, for the late bloomers. Uh, Guess what tribe he's going to come from? Yeah. Judah, right? One in 12 chance. But, but he turns out he's from the tribe of Judah. So, so if you know a little bit about Israel's history, they have a first king who has, is a loser. I always do that backwards. But he's a loser, uh, and, and his name is what? No, no, Saul. Saul was the loser, yeah. Uh, Saul, King Saul was not such a great king, and so God gets rid of Saul, and he brings his own king to the throne, and he's a great king. His name is David, and he becomes the most famous king in Israel's history. He becomes sort of a, the prototype of kings. He he is loved by the people. Uh, he walks with God uh, well. Uh, God is with him, and he extends Israel's borders. He conquers their enemies, and so he leads them in this time of great uh, national prosperity and peace, and so we call this era the era of, of David and his son Solomon we call it the golden era the golden age of Israel and so this great king arises and sure enough he's from the tribe of Judah you know just like was prophesied this tro- this line of kings would come and so, so what happens is late in his reign, later on in his reign, let's put it that way, after he's conquered his enemies and so on, he has this brilliant idea. And his idea is I want to build a permanent house for God, a temple where, where we can come as a nation and where the nations of the world can come and worship the true God, the, the maker of heaven and earth, not all their false gods that they worship. And so he's got this vision, let's, let's create this, this house for God. And so he goes to Nathan the prophet, prophet and he he shares his idea and Nathan says hey sounds good to me go for it God's with you in whatever you're doing and so he's going to start the process but then Nathan has a dream that night and in the dream God comes to him and says Nathan uh, that is not my plan for David's life I've got a different plan so I want you to go to David and tell him I don't want you to build a house for me I want to build a house for you. But he's not talking about a literal house because David already has a literal. He already has a palace. He's talking about a spiritual house or a political house. He's talking about a dynasty of kings that will come out of his life. So Saul was the first king. He died. His descendants didn't carry on. No dynasty. David's going to have a dynasty. His sons are going to start this kind of. You know, you think of King of England or something like that. That kind of. There's going to be, gonna be a, a bloodline dynasty that's going to rule. And so let's pick up and see what, what happens. In chapter 7 and verse, uh, verse 11, the middle of verse 11, it says the Lord, and when it says Lord in all caps, what, what's that mean? Yahweh. Yeah, Yahweh, that's the Old Testament word for Yahweh, personal name of God of Israel. So Yahweh declares to you, David, that Yahweh himself will establish a house for you. And when your days are over and you rest with your fathers, in other words, when you die, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, who will come from your own body, uh, not an adopted son, uh, and I will uh, establish his kingdom. And he is the one who will build a house for my name, a temple, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom. And what's the next word? Forever. Can we say that together? Establish it for what? Forever. Okay, that's important. And, and so so here's here's the promise. He says, That David, uh, I am going to, from your own body, one of your sons, I'm gonna raise him up to be the next king and I'm gonna be with him and I'm gonna establish his kingdom forever. All right, and so then he talks about the special relationship he's gonna have with his son. He says, verse 14, I will be his father and he will be my son. And from this point on, the kings of Israel, uh, the kings that rule in Jerusalem, they are known kind of as the sons of God. They're they're kind of under special relationship with God. And you skip down to verse 16. He says, your house, David, and your kingdom will endure, what's the next word? Forever uh, before me. And your throne will be established, what? Forever, Okay, and so three times God has said this, that that out of David is going to come a Davidic dynasty, a line of kings, just like Jacob had promised. So from the line of Judah would come a line of kings. But now we know, of course, David is a descendant of Judah. We're narrowing down this person. It's now going to come through the family of David. There's going to be a line of kings. They're going to rule forever. And then God is going to be like a father, and they're going to be like his sons. And of course, we're jumping now a little bit ahead in the story, but, but now you can see why when Jesus came, he was called the Son of David, but he was also the Son of God. And so that what was being spoken here was at kind of two different levels. Being spoken to Solomon, who was gonna build a house for God, but there was gonna be a greater David that came one day, a greater son who is gonna build a greater house, uh, the new the new community, the new people of God, the new temple for God to dwell in his people, uh what we call the church. And so, so anyway, there's this promise is given, and so by the end of this uh, this prophecy. We now know that this great hero that's coming through these cryptic, mystical, mysterious prophecies is going to come not only from the seed of Eve, not only from the line of Abraham, not only from the tribe of Judah, but from the family of David. And what we're doing is we're building a resume for the Messiah. We are building uh, his, like, whoever. this is who you need to be, you need to match up. Now, the way it worked out was not how Israel expected, as prophecy often is not how we expect. And so what they expected is that this Davidic uh, dynasty would just go on forever. But, of course, that's not what happened at the time. That what happened is that God began to fulfill his promise. That over the next 400 years, uh, sure enough, he had a son named Solomon. Solomon built the temple. And now you have this Davidic line of kings that, that exists in Jerusalem for the next 400 years. But during these 400 years, these kings are often, more often than not, walking far from God. More often from not, the nation is in rebellion. More often than not, the nation is pursuing idolatry, uh, oppression, worshiping other gods, sexual immorality, oppressing the poor, kind of uh, violating everything that God has said. And so over those 400 years, God is raising up prophet after prophet to call them back and say, if you don't get your act together, judgment is going to come. And sure enough, in 586 B.C., which is about 400 years after David, uh, the final judgment came, and the nation of Israel was totally overrun by the nation of Babylon. Jerusalem was leveled, the temple was leveled, and the inhabitants of Jerusalem were taken back 1,000 miles away to the nation of Babylon. And we call that the exiles. They were exiled from their homeland. All right, But the good news is, during these 400 years of Davidic kings... The prophets that were there, they kept saying that if you don't turn, you'll be destroyed and taken from the land. But they also kept prophesying that even though that happens, because of God's great love, one day he will bring you back and he will raise up this great Davidic king who will usher in this golden age of the world and all the world will come to know him and worship him, all right? So there's this this kind of a silver lining running through the prophets. And and there's several different places we can look at that and I could show you examples. But I chose to choose one that Hallmark has made a lot of money off of. And so it's there on your note sheet. It's Isaiah uh, chapter 9. And this is the one you see on Christmas cards every year. And so Isaiah is writing, now catch this. uh, Isaiah is writing about 250 years after David but about 150 years before the exile, right? So he's, he's in that. And so he's prophesying both the destruction of the nation by Babylon that will happen 150 years later. He even prophesies the king who will be in control in a new nation when Israel comes back to the land. He even gives the name of him, King Cyrus of Persia. He says that when God brings you back to the land after you've been away from the land. This is the guy's name who's gonna bring you back. So he's prophesying 200 years before that event. But in the midst of that, he gives us amazing prophecy in chapter nine. And he says, for to us, a child is born. He says, there's gonna be a a child born. He's gonna be a son. He says, for to us, as this child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government, the rulership, the leadership of the nation will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor. In other words, he'll, he'll be a brilliant leader. Uh, And then he'll also be called what? What's the next thing? Mighty God. Don't miss that. Remember in the first week of this series, we looked at John chapter 1, where John gave us his version of Christmas. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and lived among us. And so, so even in the Old Testament, these prophecies predicted a time when God himself would enter into the human race. And so in this prophecy, we're told that a son will come, a son will be born into the human race, but he will actually also be the mighty God, all right? And so then he goes on. So he says, um, he will reign uh, of the increase of his, no, I'm missing. Okay, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, woo, over my head. Uh, So he'll be one with the father, and then he'll be called prince of peace and it says of the increase of his government and peace so as the rise of his rule uh, there will be no what no end and so we're back to the prophecy that God gave to David that I will love this your sons and that there will be no end we're back there again and he says um, then he says he will reign on whose throne David's throne and over his kingdom establishing it and then upholding it with justice and Righteousness. And so when this great Davidic king comes, that he will usher in a time of kind of world peace. He'll usher in a time of Things are, all wrongs are turned to right, as C.S. Lewis once said. And and so uh, you've got this time where where justice and righteousness, there will be no oppression, there will be no poor, there, there will be no sex trade, there will be no sex trafficking, there will be no drug abuse, there will be no broken marriages, there will be no betrayal. It will usher in a new age of justice and righteousness. And he says, from that time on and what? forever okay and so so what you see by by the time you get to the end of the Old Testament Israel has returned to the promised land from captivity but they have not received their king they are under foreign oppression the Roman rule and every eye in Israel is on the future and there is a Messiah alert out I mean we're looking like when is this great king that the prophet's prophesied when is he coming and so now that we understand the story of the prophecies in the old testament that one day a great hero would arise he'll be a human being he's not going to be an angel or something like that A great hero, yeah, angel Moroni, great hero will arise. He will come from the human race, the seed of Eve. He will come from the line of Abraham, the nation of Israel. He will come from the tribe of Judah and be a great king, and he will come from the line of David, the family line of David. And so by the time we get to the New Testament and we open it up, every eye is looking for this, this great king. And so Matthew, who is a Christ follower, right, and he's known Jesus, and he has come into relationship, and Matthew is convinced that Jesus is the true king. So how does he start his gospel? Uh, if you've never kind okay, of opened it up, you don't have to do it now, but if you were to take your Bible, open it up to the very first page of the New Testament, guess what it starts off with? Some of you know, it starts off with a genealogy. Now, a lot of you have skipped this. These are the things that cause us not to be able to read through the Bible in a year, right? You hit to it, and -and so-and-so begat so-and-so, and and begat so-and-so, and it's like, whatever, right? Like, who even gives a royal rip? You know, it's like, oh, right? Hey, but the genealogies are important, and the reason is they're establishing the bloodlines of the great king because we know the criteria, the resume he has to meet. And so as Matthew opens his story, and his whole story is gonna be about the coming of the great king that was prophesied, he starts with a genealogy, why? Because he's writing to Jewish people. And they know what bloodlines the great king has to have. And so there in your note sheet, he starts off, there's a section called the invasion, the coming of the king. And here's how Matthew starts the story of the coming of the king. He says, a record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of whom? David. David. And who's the son of whom? Abraham. Abraham. Why? And if you were to take the time to read through that carefully, what he does is he traces the bloodlines of Jesus back from Jesus, there's human genealogy, back to David, and then back to Judah, and then back to Abraham. Why? Because that he needs to show that the son who was born is the son who was prophesied, okay? And so then then throughout Matthew, he's going to continue to tell us the story of this great king who came and what happened when this king came to his kingdom. And so when you get to chapter 2, for example, you may have never thought of it this way, but we have the story of the magi. These uh, uh, ancient uh, kind of astronomers, uh, scholar people that had traveled probably a thousand miles from maybe Persia. is our, our best guess. But they, they came to, uh, to in search, you know, following the star. And look how they're, they're, they're described. It says, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem, to the capital. And they, here's their question. They said, where is the one who has been born? And what, what do they call him? King Of the Jews, right? The ancient king that was prophesied, the Davidic king. Where is he that was born? king of the Jews and of course you remember what the religious scholars said oh that's easy it's it's in Bethlehem because that's where it was prophesied in Bethlehem which was the hometown of David that's where the king will be born that out of Bethlehem one will come who has been from everlasting and there's a prophecy in Micah so they tell these guys this story and they say, okay so they head to Bethlehem and so when they get there look look what it says though why they're why they're searching they ask where's the one who is born king of the Jews and they said we saw his star in the east and we have come to what? To worship him. Why? Because this great Davidic king is not only a son who is born, it is the mighty God, right? So they're coming to worship. And so now as we follow the story of Matthew, the coming of the great king, of course this baby grows up. And next we know he's getting baptized. And after he's baptized, he's starting his ministry. And Matthew says, let me describe for you the message of this king when he came. And there it is on your note sheet in chapter 4. This is how Matthew summarizes the whole message of Jesus. It says, from that time on, Jesus began to preach. And here was his message. He said, repent. First thing he said is repent. Here's what I want you to catch. Repent is a biblical word, right? We don't use it a lot in our our culture. Repent. What what it means to repent, it means to change directions. It means to have a a mid-course correction. It means we're heading one way, we're gonna head another way. In context, what it means is we are the rebel race who rejected God as our creator because we thought we could do life better on our own. We've rejected his leadership, We've followed the leadership of our great enemy. We've come under his rule. We're in occupied countries spiritually. This world is the dark zone. It's, it's, the, it's ruled by the dark Lord. That's the kingdom we became a part of when we rejected our true king. To repent means we come back. We lay down our arms. We trust in this new king who is coming. We follow him with our lives. And the offer he makes is for all who will lay down their arms, turn around, and follow me. The offer that Jesus makes is to grant us the gift of amnesty for all crimes committed against the king. And so what happens when we become a follower of Jesus is we switch sides in this war. You see, what Christmas is all about when Jesus came, it was an invasion. It was an invasion of the kingdom of the heavens. In fact, this is what he says. Jesus says, repent for the kingdom of what? The kingdom of heaven is near. Now, catch this. There's very few times when I have quibbles with translators. This is one of them. Because in the Greek, in the original language, it doesn't say the kingdom of heaven. It never says the kingdom of heaven. What it always says is the kingdom of the heavens. The kingdom of the heavens. And what it's saying is that there is a place where God rules. It is heaven, right? This earth is not where he rules. We're under the kingdom of darkness. And what he's saying is Jesus says, the kingdom of the heavens is breaking into the kingdom of darkness and taking over. There is an invasion that's happening and it's a covert operation and the king has landed at Christmas and now the king has grown up, he's grown up in obscurity, he's grown up incognito, but he is now announcing is his, that he is the king, and he's coming to take recruits. And so Jesus comes out, and he begins to share the message of his kingdom, and he begins to recruit people to follow me, to follow him, that if we will follow, we will receive this gift of amnesty, we'll switch sides in this war, we'll receive the gift of his spirit, we become part of his movement to take over planet Earth. See, And this is what it means to be a Christ follower. We become part of his movement to reclaim re- the creation for the creator. We, we become part of his movement. And I want you to catch this, men and women. Here at Rocky Peak, it's why this church exists. We exist to take back the kingdom of this earth for our God and King. You see, that's why we exist. Right? Do, do you get that? We do not exist here to create a Christian subculture where we can be safe from the world we that's not why we're here we don't come to church so we can escape the evils of the world right we come here to get our marching orders from the king so we go out and we take ground for the kingdom and that's why Jesus said seek first my what my kingdom you see? And so, so this is what's happening. If this is an invasion and Jesus is coming in and, and it's like his movement is now going to extend and begin to go on. Now it's interesting because you under, as you go through Matthew's gospel you see this over and over again. Like in the last week of Jesus' life Jesus rides in on that Sunday we call Palm Sunday now that we, he rides in on a donkey. Remember that? Now Roman conquerors didn't ride in on donkeys. They ride in on white horses, stallions. They, they ran on white horses. It's the sign of a conquering king. But our king doesn't do that. He rides in on a donkey. Not overly impressive. But why does he do that? Because back in Zechariah, The prophet had predicted, see, O Israel, your king comes to you riding on a donkey. He comes with humility. He comes in peace. And of course, that king is rejected. And by the end of the week, he's standing before Pilate. And Pilate asks him, are you a king? And he said, for this I was born. The king has come. And that's why he was crucified. He was crucified for high treason against Caesar, for claiming to be king. And so when he was put up on the cross, they put the charges above his head, like they do to every criminal. Here's what the charges are. And his says, this is Jesus, king of, of the jews that's why he was crucified because he came into hostile territory to start a movement to take back the world for the true king and he was crucified for it and of course at the time it's a very sad story the king has come and he's lost all hope is God? but later we find out that this was part of the plan all along that this king is actually going to come to his kingdom twice The first time he comes in peace, the first time he comes riding on the donkey, the first time he comes with arms outstretched with an offer of amnesty for all who will give their lives to the king. But there's a second time he will return. And the second time he comes, it's not on a donkey. He is riding on a white horse in Revelation 19. He's got blood on his cloak, he's got a tattoo on his side, It says, King of kings and Lord of lords. He's got a sword in his mouth and he is coming back to clean things up. And so the message of Christmas is that an invasion has started. The true king has come. He's calling us. And this is the time between his first coming and his second coming, we have a decision to make. Do we follow this king, switch sides, lay down our arms, receive his gift of amnesty, love our true king, be restored and become part of his movement to retake the kingdom? It's why he taught us to pray, "Yea, kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's the prayer of a believer. We become a part of his movement or we decide to reject our true king and take our chances when he comes back. So this is Christmas. Christmas is the story of an invasion. You know, this last week um, I was listening to a message by Brandon Depuma, who's uh, our college, one of our college interns. There you go, shout out for, for, for Brandon! But it it's a great little message he was doing in the college group and. And, uh, and, and he had this awesome quote by John Piper. John's a very well-known uh, teacher, pastor in the Midwest, author. And, and I put it there on your note sheet, and John just nailed it on this one. He's talking about Christmas. He says, do you see what this means? It means that when the appointed time came, notice the right time in human history, God looked down on his own world, the world he'd created, that was, catch us, under the dominion of Whom? Satan. Remember, in the New Testament, it says the God of this world is Satan. That when we as a race rebelled against our true king and followed the deceiver, we gave him the kingdom. We we gave him rights to this kingdom. It's a fallen world. It's a world of his. kingdom. And so God looked down in his own world under the dominion of Satan, and he said to his son, he said, prepare for the what? The invasion. The artillery of the enemy will be heavy. In fact, before you get very far on the beach, you will be killed but I will raise you from the dead and the beachhead you established will spread until it invades every tongue and tribe and nation. Then I will free town after town from slavery to demons and slavery to the law and we will draw into our movement all those who trust in you, my son. And the catch this, we will send your spirit to empower them and to bring them to glory when Christ returns and they will be my children. Catch this. When you, come, when, you, when you cross the line, you follow Christ, you become his children. And heirs of everything I have will inherit the universe. Satan will be vanquished. All unbelievers will be banished to outer darkness. Now catch this. That's not what John Piper says. That's what Jesus said in his teaching. And I want you to understand now why. The person, The reason a person would be banished to outer darkness, which is a biblical picture of hell, the reason is because they reject the rule of the true king. That we as a race, every one of us, has committed high treason. Every one of us has lived as if God does not exist. Every one of us has done our own thing. We have committed treason against the king. The sentence is death. The king has come, he's offered us amnesty. If we lay down our arms, we repent, we return to our, all will be forgiven, we will switch sides. But if we refuse to repent, Jesus was really clear that there's only one destiny, and that is destruction. And, and that's what he says. They're banished to outer darkness. And then he says, and then our glory will fill the earth like the waters cover the sea. This new age, the new era, the next life will, will come in where all wrongs so will be turned to light. And so, th- so this raises a great question for us at Christmas. And there in your note sheet is a section called The Invasion, The Great Question. And and here's the question really that Christmas raises is that how will we respond to the coming of the king? Like really, Christmas forces a decision. Like when a king shows up, you either have to be for him or against him, right? This is the nature of being a king. And and so the question for your life and mine is how do we respond to this true message of Christmas that the king has come? Which side are we on? Uh, Many years ago, I read a great story uh, it, was, it was in a book called uh, Idols of the King, which is the legends of King Arthur. And in this story, uh, King Arthur calls in one of his most trusted knights. He's a, a, a knight called Sir Gawain. And he calls him in, and, and, and Gawain was known for his courtesy. He was known for being able, just really great with words. And so he calls him in, and, and Arthur gives him this great uh, kind of a, a big task. And what he says is, is Gawain, I want you to go and find Lancelot. I I want you to. uh, Lancelot is lost. He's been out on a mission. We've lost him. I'm afraid for his life. I want you to go and search and just make haste and don't let anything get in your way. Just kind of find Lancelot and bring him back. And so so he takes off. And of course, initially, he's on task. He's on mission. He knows what his mission is. But along the way, he comes to this beautiful castle and he stops in the castle to see if Lancelot's there. Lancelot's not there, but this beautiful woman is there. Her name is Lady Elaine. And he's so captivated by her beauty. he forgets his mission. And so he leaves his because He just wants to stay there at the castle and hang out with Lady Elaine. And eventually he kind of realizes his mistake after a long period of time. And he comes back kind of realizing he's totally failed. But when he comes back, instead of admitting that he's failed, he tries to use his gift of language, his words, to win back the king. And gives this very courteous response of why this happened and how this happened. And he's trying to kind of weave the words together so that Arthur is not upset with him. And Arthur stops him, right? In mid-sense, he stops him, and this is what he says, and it's there in your note sheet. He says to Gawain, he says, obedience is the courtesy due to kings. And what he's saying is, Gawain, I don't want to hear your words. I don't want to hear your courtesy. When you're dealing with a king, there's only one thing a king wants to hear, and that's obedience. Obedience is the courtesy do to kings and and so the question as we come this christmas season for your life is are you giving the king your obedience and what i want to do in this last section here is just kind of ask you a couple questions and the first question are for those of us who are christ followers so let me define that They're, they're for those of us here that at some point in your life you've understood this true message of christmas That Christ has come, the true king has come, that he's come to die for you, to give his life as a ransom, is what Jesus said, a ransom to buy you back from the dark side so that you would be free to go, so you could have a new life and so you could be forgiven. And so you understood that message and you trusted your true king and you repented and you laid down your arms and you, you left your old life behind and you began to follow and you trusted in him and you entered into relationship and he commissioned you like a king would a knight with his sword he commissioned you on the shoulder to be part of his movement part of his kingdom and you began to follow him and so if that's you I want to talk to you for a second if you're a Christ follower uh, I want to, want to talk to you for a second here's the question I have for you if you're a Christ follower this Christmas the question is are you on mission you want to write that down. Are you on mission? This point in your life, this Christmas season, as we get ready for a new year, are you on mission? Uh, in other words, when, when Jesus came, and when, when you became a follower of Jesus, you became part of his movement. And our job is to extend the kingdom of God across the globe. That, that's, our, that's our commission. In fact, when Jesus left, he gave what was called the great, what? The great commission. And, and you may remember how that goes. He said, go into all the world, and share the gospel, the message of His movement, with, with everyone. And he said, "When they follow, I uh, said, I want you to recruit them to be followers. And the first step is I want you to baptize them, because when you a person's bapti- baptized, what they're saying is I'm changing sides in this war. Baptism is the great divide. I used to be under the power of darkness. I used to be under the the power of the great enemy." I am accepting the offer of amnesty, and I'm crossing sides. I'm switching over to follow the true king. And that's what baptism's all about. And so he says, so teach them, uh, share the message, and when when they follow, then baptize them into my movement. He said, and then I want you to teach them to what? Does anyone remember? I heard it over here. Yeah, we go. Teach them to obey everything I taught you. Why? Because obedience is the courtesy due to kings. And so as we go on this Christmas season, I want to ask you, are you on mission with Jesus as your king? If you're a Christ follower, or have you been distracted like Sir Gawain by a lady Elaine in your life. Something else that has captured your attention. You forgot why you're here on planet Earth. You forgot why Jesus left you. You forgot why you're still alive. That you're here. That when you became a follower of Jesus, that he calls you to use your time, your energy, your talents, your gifts, your financial resources. He calls you to use that to extend his movement. And so the question I have for you this Christmas season is are you on mission? Are you on mission? Or have you forgotten what it means to be a follower of the king? Now let me talk to those of you who are not Christ followers yet. You, you might be here, a friend invited you, I don't know, you might have come a long time, maybe your first time. But the question I, I have for you is are you ready to receive this offer of amnesty? Because we've seen today the king has come. He's drawn a line in the sand. You're either with him or against him. But that decision is yours. You've seen the offer. That if you follow him, if you trust in him, all crimes against the king will be forgiven. You'll receive the gift of his spirit. You'll become part of his movement. You'll learn how to follow him. He'll give you back your life, the life we lost back in the garden. He'll give you back your life, life as it was meant to be lived. You'll become part of his movement, part of his task force to help take over the world. That's the offer, but this life or the next life, right? That's the offer. But an offer either has to be accepted or rejected. An offer has been made. What when, when Christmas means, the offer has been made. But you have to decide whether to repent and follow your true king, or continue to rebel and reject his leadership. And let me tell you this, the stakes could not be harder, higher. Because what we've seen is you don't mess with the lion of the tribe of Judah. You don't mess. Because when he comes back this time, the next time, it's not gonna be in peace. It's gonna be an act of war on a kingdom that has rejected his leadership. And he will rescue those of us who have trusted him as our king. But he will level everything else. But now, so now is the day of salvation. Now is the time of offer. Now is the time to surrender to your true king and come home. And enter into this new relationship that he died to give you. Let's pray together. God, it's just so good to be here as your people and to be reflecting on your amazing love for us and, and how you came as our true king to die for a kingdom so you could ransom us, restore us, and give us back our life, set us free from the powers of evil. While our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, let me talk to those of you who are my brothers and sisters here that you, you like I, we've been commissioned by the king and, and I just want to ask you, are you on, are you on mission today? Are you on today? Are you on point? Uh, the New Testament says that he died for us so that we might live for him. And so is that your story today? Are you surrendered? I know so many of you are. I see it all the time. You love him. You're learning from him. You're following him. You're using your gifts. You're making a difference. I see that happening. You're giving. You're serving. I, I see it. This church couldn't exist without you and I, I love you for it and I just so appreciate it. I just want to affirm you and if you're in that right place, I would just say keep on keeping on. You're on a great track. But for those of us here, maybe you're my brother or sister in Christ, but you've been more like Sir Gawain at this point in your life. You've been distracted by the Lady Elaine's in your life and you're, you're off mission. And, and what a great opportunity as we get ready for next week. Yea, Lord, we greet thee on this Christmas morning that, to, to be ready for him this next week and then to be ready for this new year to be used in a way you've never been used before as you surrender to the leadership of your true king. And if that's you today, I just encourage you during this time of prayers, I'm talking to non-believers, and that you would just kind of bow the knee to him and and ask him to forgive you. And don't try to make up with it with words, but just, just admit it and then ask him to restore you and to heal you and to recommission you. And then while our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, let me talk to those of you here that you've never given your life to Christ. Today we've laid out the message of Christmas and I think you get it now. You get the offer that Jesus is making you. You get the stakes in this game that couldn't be higher. And the question is, I have, what's holding you back from following your true king? What, what is it? What's the lady, Elaine, in your life that you're afraid that if you give that to Jesus, if you repent, if you lay that down, that somehow God's gonna mess up your life? And I tell you something, he loves you so much that he became one of us to rescue you and to give you back your life. He alone is the author of life. He knows you inside and out and he loves you. You are created for him and nothing will satisfy you until you give your life to him. So I'm, I'm begging you, this is, I'm urging you, give your life to Christ. Follow your true king. Cross that line. Ask him for your forgiveness and let him reshape you and remake you. Become a part of his movement. And if that's you today and you want to give your life to Christ, I'm going to pray a very simple prayer right now. And if it expresses the desire of your heart, if you pray along with me in your mind, in your heart, God will hear as you you pray inside yourself. Dear Jesus, I ask you to come and be my true king. I turn from my past life. I ask you to forgive me for all my crimes against you and others. I, I ask for the gift of amnesty. And I pray you teach me how to follow you You'd give me the gift of your spirit to change me from the inside out. I could live with you now, this life, and the next life. While our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, if you just pray that prayer, I'd like to ask you to do me a, a favor. I'm, inside your program today is a little connect card. If you would just fill that out and then in the back say, Mike, I, I asked Christ into my life or I gave my life to Christ. I'll know exactly what you mean. And that will trigger a series of events. We'll contact you this week. I'll send you a letter with some first steps in your relationship with Christ. We'll send you a link on baptism so you can understand kind of the importance of that great dividing line, stepping over. And we'll help you get off to a brand, a great start in your new relationship with Christ. And Father, now we come as your church a week before Christmas. And we acknowledge you as our true king. And we come to worship you. And we pray that, you would write this message deep in our hearts today that when we come to Jesus, we come to you as the king. And the only thing that is due a king is obedience. And we pray that in your name, amen. There in the back of your note sheet, you know, every week we've, we've done this, that we talk about how the, the full story of Christmas is often hidden in plain sight. There's another, one of the places it's, it's hidden is in our Christmas carols. But often because they're written in old English or because we're so familiar, we just miss the story they're telling. One of my favorite Christmas carols is O Come All Ye Faithful. We're going to end with it today. But look at that first verse, O Come All Ye Faithful. Faithful to whom? Well, faithful to our true king. Joyful and triumphant. Why triumphant? Because he's destroyed and crushed the serpent's head. O come ye, O come ye to Bethlehem, come and behold him, born the what? The King of Angels, and that's what Christmas is about, the coming of the King, this great invasion, first stage of taking back the world for the Creator. And so I'd ask you to stand with me right now. I'm going to pray, and we're going to receive the offering during this final song of worship as we worship the King together. God, we thank you that you're our true King. We pray that you use these gifts as acts of love to you. You receive them as acts of love that you would establish your kingdom and this movement. And we pray, God, for literally hundreds and thousands of people in the coming weeks, months, and years that would come to know you as each of us embrace our true mission here, as we serve, as we share the message, and as we finance your movement, your kingdom. We pray this in your name. Amen. You know, in the ancient world, uh, Lord really meant something. It meant like ruler. It meant like king. Um, you know, like Caesar was the Lord of lords. And so it meant something. And so the earliest Christian confession scholars tell us that, that said so that you are a believer in Jesus. The earliest Christian confession we have in the New Testament is the one that goes like this, that Jesus is Lord. It was, um, it was an affront to the Roman Empire. It was a statement that Caesar isn't Lord, that Jesus is Lord. He is the King. Um, this is why the Apostle Paul in Romans 10 says, if someone confesses with their mouth that Jesus is Lord, and they believe in their hearts that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's the core confession of the Christ follower. That Jesus is Lord. Uh, He is king. It's interesting because Jesus said that many will come to him on that last day. And they will say, Lord, Lord. They will be doing kind of what Sir Gawain did. They'll be using the words of courtesy. Lord, Lord. And he will say, depart from me. For I never knew you. You evil doers, you did not do the will of my Father. And so from time to time as a church, it's important for us to come back and remind ourselves, what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? It means very simply that Jesus is Lord. And if he's Lord, then that means the only courtesy that's due a king is obedience. My fear is that in our country, in our culture, there are many who believe that when Jesus comes back, they'll be on the right side because they've used the term Lord. that will be in for a rude awakening because they have called him Lord, but they've not bowed the knee to him as Lord. And I don't want us to be one of those churches. I don't want us to be under any false illusion here that when a man or woman gives their life to Jesus, you give your life to Jesus as your Lord. And if he is not your king, then you're not his subject. It's as simple as that. And so this Christmas season, we celebrate the coming of the king. And I would challenge you that he would be your true king and you would live a life of obedience and you'd be on mission and that we would recapture that calling on our lives that we'd be on mission for the king, that we would seek first his kingdom. Amen? Amen. Don't forget that next weekend, uh, no Sunday services. Our regular services will be on Christmas Eve, a little shorter than normal, about an hour. Uh, Remember, if you have kids, they will have their own Christmas uh, service, uh, like it's a normal weekend service. If you're middle school or up, you'll be in here with us as we celebrate the culmination of this series. So, so far in this series, we've laid the groundwork. And so now, maybe for many of us for the first time, that next week as we go into the story of Christmas, we're so familiar with the angel Gabriel, Mary, and Joseph, what he said to them, that now we will hear it for the first time like they heard it. They will will hear it as they heard it, with all this background and all of its fullness, when Gabriel came and said that you will be Uh, have a son, the power of the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And so we'll be looking at the true story of Christmas through new eyes. And so until then, may the Lord be with you. May Jesus be your king. And may you find life as you pursue him. Because as he said, this is life, that they may know you, Father, and know me, Jesus Christ, whom you've sent. God bless. Love you. See you next weekend. Well, that's going to do it for this week's message. We hope you've enjoyed it as much as we have putting it together. Please visit us at rockypeak.org where you can download more messages or have your questions answered. Remember, you can subscribe to our weekly podcast for free by searching for The Church at Rocky Peak from within the music store in your iTunes software. For Lead Pastor Mike Yearly and everybody up here at The Peak, thanks for listening.